Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Fires it. It's a wide open. Touchdown, Buffalo! Davis again! This is, uh, it just is impossible! A laser beam! Dawson Knox! Touchdown, Buffalo! Allen gets out of the pocket. We know how dangerous he is with his legs, and there he goes! Josh Allen! It's two builds in a pod with Daniel Hahn and Jordan McGee on Sports War Radio. And with that, welcome back to another episode of Two Builds in a Pod. Jordan McGee, Daniel Hahn here with you. The Buffalo Bills win 34-31 over the Miami Dolphins in the wild card round. Um I don't know if this episode should be sponsored by some sort of blood pressure medication, but this would be a great time for a sponsor um, because, um, you know, Daniel, when we talked about this game last week, you know, in terms of, oh, how would Buffalo lose? Everything would have to go wrong. And almost nearly that happened. But the Bills managed to survive losing uh, potentially to Skylar Thompson and they win. They move on. This was a uh, highly uh, stressful game uh, going into it. I'm going to be honest. Didn't think I would be stressing. Um, But here we are. The Bills survive in advance. We got to talk about this one, Daniel. It was um, not pretty. Um, But, you know, hey, a stark contrast from the wild card game a year ago uh, with that 40 to nothing beatdown over the Patriots. But uh, here we are, Daniel, back in the AFC Divisional round, albeit a little bit uh, too close to call in terms of a loss. But how are you feeling? Because this was um, very much the definition of a roller coaster of a game. It was. And yeah, I even thought about that too. I was like, you know, we said everything has to go wrong and you have to have like five big, massive mistakes. And really, the Bills, if you had your abacus out, were really getting close to that five. They definitely have the three turnovers, right? Three gigantic turnover, turnovers. They were doing every single thing they could do to kind of bungle this game away and, and really lose as best they could, but they didn't. Um, maybe facing Skylar Thompson was a good thing, you know, this week, but it wasn't the best executed game, but it's also kind of one of those weird games. I mean, they did go up 17 nothing to start the game. They did um, have a home playoff game with a lot of vibes going, a lot of good atmosphere going, a lot of energy that they were trying to leverage. Um, and then the momentum swung, and they struggled to recoup that momentum for much of the game. Um, you know, Jordan, I, I, I just go back to the early in the season where it was, you know, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, they can't win those one-score games. We've now won eight one-score games this year, and I would like to go back to the days where I have no idea if they can win a one-score game because there were blowouts. And I think a lot of fans feel that way if you have, you know, blood pressure problems, you know, heart conditions, all of that stuff. It's just a very stressful thing to watch the team, but at some point you're in the divisional round, like you said, is this not just who this team is? I mean, they're going to be kind of, you know, they're not like the cardiac cats or anything like that, but they're the cardiac bills, right? They're, they're going to be up and down. They're going to not play a fully clean game. They're not just going to destroy teams and, and leave them, you know, in the dust. I don't think you're going to get a Cowboys-Buccaneers kind of satisfying 30-point victory while you miss a bunch of extra points. That's just not what this team is. But, but they are a team – that are finding ways to win. And I think you can get a a nice little piece of solace on that and say, you know what, in close games when it's winning time, they are able to at least 
make the right plays at the right times to win more often than not. And so even though they put themselves in some really precarious positions, they do find a way to win. And I think I want to start there, Jordan. They do advance. Um, they beat a game Dolphins team in Buffalo. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. Um, but, Jordan, I mean, you can tell me your thoughts. I mean, we, can, we usually break down offense, defense, special teams. I'll, the offense, you know, it was good. It was bad. It was good. It was bad. It's weird. Um, I think the first thing to start with is what are your takeaways on this offense because they do go up 17 nothing. Ken Dorsey's under fire for, and I think rightfully so, mm-hmm. video game style offense. I mean, just everyone go deep. We're just going to keep going yeah. deep, and Josh Allen's going to get teed up. Um, but there were there were plays, Jordan. There were everyone go deep, but then you have some drops, and you had some amazing catches. Dawson Knox one-handed touchdown. Gabe Davis catching a freaking laser from a still-footed Josh Allen in the back of the end zone. I mean, so many weird things. I I don't know what to make of this other than. Maybe we should just start with Ken Dorsey and his game calling. What do you think of this offense? Because it's everything you want it to be and also everything you don't want it to be all in one little group. So there's a lot of aspects of it. So, yeah, like right into the offense. Now I'm going to get to the part that isn't Ken Dorsey's fault, and that is the drop passes. You know, there was two ones in particular, the Dawson Knox touchdown that could have been that was not a catch, and then that big what could have been a huge play for Khalil Shakir. He doesn't rope it in, and then I believe that drive ended in a turnover or something to that effect. Um, big plays wiped off the board um, from drop passes. Stephon Diggs was making catches, right, because that's Stephon Diggs. Gabe Davis ended up having a nice game towards the end of the second half. Um, but the drop passes were a big problem. It was also a problem for Miami's offense, too, to be fair. Jalen Waddell dropped a really big uh, early on pass, you know, it was Tyree killed. That was pretty much the only receiver that could do anything for Miami's sake. Um, so there were drop passes, um, which is concerning. Um, but yeah, Ken Dorsey, um, you know, I have been this season trying to be fair to Ken Dorsey for the most part of uh, he's a first year offensive coordinator. You know, you're like, mm, I, I still trust him. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Even if the bills, go all the way and win the Super Bowl. I don't feel confident as Ken Dorsey being the offensive coordinator going forward. Um, this game, he was playing, he got cute and was playing with fire. I mean, there was one, that one series in the third quarter where it was just on first and second down, it was just two deep shots to Gabe Davis that were overthrown by Allen. And then I think they had Allen run on third and 10. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, they were down 24 to 20 after the strip sack fumble um, to start the third quarter. And, like, he just completely abandons the run. It's just, right, like, these deep, like, home run balls that sometimes Josh Allen will connect on. And when it does, it's great and it's exciting. But other times, you just blow your opportunities. You know, James Devin Singletary, James Cook, hell, run Josh Allen if you have to. Those are effective ways to move the ball. Short slant routes within the 20 yard line of, you know, 20 yards or less passes to a Cole Beasley, to, you know, Shakir or Diggs or Knox or whoever. It, I don't understand Ken Dorsey's like thinking because, you know, the, the start of the game, that first quarter was great. The game plan execution was going well. And then I think what happened was the second quarter happens, you know, one or two drives, the Bills offense isn't going anywhere. They're stalling and he panics and then decides we got to do home run plays. So he doesn't trust himself. I That's what I feel like when I'm watching him and I watch this game. I don't have this confidence with Ken Dorsey. And I was, you know, listen, like, the result was going to be the same for me about this analysis, whether the Bills lost or won this game. And even if they win the Super Bowl, I don't have much confidence in Ken Dorsey. I really, really don't. Um, and maybe we really did overestimate the fact of him being a first-year offensive coordinator. I went into the season thinking, 
well, it shouldn't be that hard. He's been with the team, right? He was the quarterback's coach previously before Dayball left to New York. You know, th this should be a seamless transition. And maybe we didn't realize how much of a bigger step it was from going to quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. Um, because we had times where we criticized Brian Dable, but I don't think to the extent that Ken Dorsey is because I, I feel like he just, and this isn't just Ken Dorsey, by the way, I feel like this has been a lot of offensive coordinators in the league where they go in with a game plan. They start out game plans working well. And then the second things start going awry, they panic and just throw it out the window and just say, you know, you know, screw it. Let's go, you know, backyard style. And that's not that's not effective. Like the Bills can play street football, but that's that's going to be playing with fire rather than, you know, sticking to or adjusting the game plan, not just setting it on fire after one or two drives where it doesn't work. So to me, and, and again, I'm not putting all this on Ken Dorsey. I want to be clear that the offense had its, you know, faults. The offensive line had a tough time with that Miami Dolphins front four. Um, receivers were dropping balls. Allen was overthrowing guys. So there is out blame for everybody um, on the offense. But I, I really just, to me, I don't have that confidence with Ken Dorsey going forward. Again, regardless if they win it all this season, I just don't feel confident about him going forward because he seems to just self-sabotage himself constantly, and that's been a theme throughout this season. I can see that being an issue, and I think you're referencing maybe the Chargers meltdown where they only ran it twice when they had a giant lead and then didn't uh, win the game against the Jaguars. Um, by the way, uh, Joe Lombardi, the Chargers offensive coordinator, he was fired. We'll talk about him in a little bit uh, when we go around the NFL. But I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I don't think it's time to make a change. Again, the Bills have built their team based on continuity. They've had a lot of consistency in their coaching ranks as well as their player roster. They're not going to make a move with Ken Dorsey unless there's something really egregious where he's going against maybe what Sean McDermott would prefer and he's continuing to do it in-game and not kind of going with the, the script, if you will. Um, so for me in that regard, I look at it that there's a definite learning curve that's taking place. There's um, – I think maybe it's a combination of underestimating – maybe how much Brian Dayball meant to the offense and what he was as an offensive coordinator, which you're seeing with the Giants right now. And also what you are looking at in terms of a first-year offensive coordinator in, in Ken Dorsey and kind of the changes that need to take place there in terms of adjusting year after year and making the offensive zone and not trying to recreate Dayball's system, but make it your own with the same plays and different personnel. But there are things I like. I like the development of James Cook in this offense. I think the running game has improved you know, down the stretch, which is exactly what happened last year under Brian Dayball. I like that they're getting every receiver involved. I mean, they, they got Diggs involved very early and often in the game. He was unstoppable. And then he vanished. But when you see what they're doing, all the coverage is going over to Diggs. And Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey are drawing up plays and double routes for all the other guys. And they've been getting open. They just haven't connected. Or there's been a miscommunication. You know, I zig and you zag. And there's a over-the-back interception by Xavion Howard. I mean, it, it can go so many different ways. And it's very difficult for me to figure out exactly what's going on other than the fact that, you know, I think it's a learning curve. And I think Ken Dorsey will get better. He's still a first-year offensive corner, and I give him a little bit of a break there. But there are expectations. And the fact that you're just going trips vertical over and over again when you can just go back to the running game. Josh Allen has had a fumble. He's had two interceptions. Go back to the running game. You don't need to wait till the third turnover to go back to the running game and kind of try to settle down the offense a little bit, go back to basics. Cole Beasley coming in the offense, you would hope would kind of give them that check down that they don't feel like they have to do Hail Marys a lot. But again, that's what this offense is too. They're, they're a one-strike offense that can strike at any point on the field. And I think sometimes you fall in love with that and it's very difficult to, to get over. And that's the thing for me. Like, again, I, I want to be clear. I don't think the Bills are going to out, you know, get rid of Ken Dorsey, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, he may leave for potentially another job. We'll talk about that around the NFL. Um, 
I don't think they're getting rid of him. I'm going to be very clear. I, I just, I, for me as a fan, I, I'm losing confidence in terms of his playmake or his his decision making when it comes to in game situations because. You know, Miami's a sound team, but it's only getting harder from here on out. You know, like, he cannot panic when you played against the Bengals. You know what I mean? Like, there's just, there's times that I wish he would just take a step back and just, like, let me, like, what is it that our offense does well? Give the ball to Josh Allen. Let Josh Allen work. Find Stephon Diggs. Get back to basics because I think in part he overthinks things and that leads to, you know, like anything, disastrous plays. So, again, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't see him going anywhere unless he takes another job. The Bills are not going to get rid of him. Um, But he's going to have to, and the team itself is going to have to, like, try to come together and can't panic like the what happened against Miami because I felt like there was panic going on in the coaching booth whether we're going to admit it or not it feels like there was some panic and that cannot happen when you play the Bengals or potentially the Chiefs if you get that far if you're so lucky to get that far right you know it's only going to get harder from here on out and I'm just I I worry about him and I worry about his decision makings going forward in these playoffs there was panic. I mean, again, you don't want to say you know exactly what's going on in the booth. You don't know how many of the checks were Josh Allen reading the defense. And, again, the, the Dolphins, as Tony Romo mentioned many times, they're going cover zero, right? So there's definitely a check that goes on with the offense and says, hey, if they're in this coverage or we see this look, we're going to go to this hot route or we're going to go to this different kind of setup. And I think the Dolphins adjusted throughout the game. But, honestly, there, it just – and I think it's also partially Josh Allen. I mean, when he does well – he snowballs into this, like, fireball, right, that can't be stopped. But also when he goes bad, that first turnover isn't going to be the last one, right? And so I think the first turnover was was tough for me because where do you draw the line on, yeah, John Brown, Josh Allen, not on the same page exactly, should have thrown a double coverage, but also Savion Howard's making an over-the-shoulder diving catch, right? Like, there's, there's some things Miami did that kind of gives them a little break there, but – you still worry about red zone turnovers. You still worry about just, hey, it's, you've got plenty of time. We don't need to take 500 deep shots in the first half. You know, there's not, you know, ease up on the panic button here because the defense was on the field for a long time. And I also want to talk about them. They give up 30-plus points. You look at them and you're like, wow, what happened? But, but you look at it and there were three in three bad bad turnovers by the offense one of them was the Josh Allen fumble inside deep inside Bills territory and then the other two interceptions there were you know big returns it wasn't like they just got an interception and went down they returned the ball crossing the 50 both times i believe and the dolphins only scored one time jordan one time in which their offense had to traverse 40 plus yards so they weren't really moving the ball in the Bills' defense. The Bills' defense just put into some really awkward situations that were easy enough for Miami to get to get easy points, and Skylar Thompson capitalized a lot of the time. Because Skylar Thompson's on the field, you're going for it on fourth down. You're being a little more aggressive than maybe you were with Tua, which is, hey, we'll get them back later. There wasn't that type of conversation. So the offense isn't playing complementary football with the defense. The defense on the field for a very long time in back-to-back-to-back scenarios and short bursts, and not only back up, back on the field like a three and out, but back on the field in, in really difficult situations. They're already in the red zone. They're already in scoring. I mean, you're not giving your defense a chance to even make adjustments to kind of combat things. I think it makes it look a lot worse than it really was. So I agree with your points, and I, and I definitely think Ken Dorsey has some work to do. He's not a finished product, but I think that's my excitement. He's not a finished product. And they're still dropping 30. So what can you do to help the defense to play more complimentary football? And I think going in this offseason, we'll talk a lot about what does a Ken Dorsey offense look like? Because this still feels like Brian Dayball's system, still feels like Brian Dayball's offense. But, again, Brian Dayball's not there. He's over there making Daniel Jones look like a franchise quarterback and Isaiah Hodgins look like a, a receiver that everyone's like, where did he go with the Bills? Um, which, by the way, I was a fan, always a fan over mm-hmm. here, Jordan, of Isaiah Hodgins, the beaver. But 
I think Ken Dorsey, there's some things to like. The drops are definitely something we what we can talk about. Was it the field direction? Maybe the Bills were bailed out. Drops work both ways. The drops bailed Miami out, but they definitely bailed out Buffalo early in the game with Waddle and, and Tyreek Hill. Um, but I thought this defense should get more credit than it probably is going to get, mm-hmm. considering they gave up 30. Um, they were put in some bad situations multiple times in short bursts of rest. They were on the field a lot. The only negative to this defense that I really want to point out in terms of what I view as an issue, they didn't have much of a pass rush. And the Dolphins had three injured linemen. We'll see Cincinnati, who's coming with a left tackle that's going to be new. Um, doesn't matter because – they were able to kind of get pressure, but there definitely wasn't a lot of sacks. They were able to stuff the run. But in terms of getting pressure, you're starting to feel the absence of Von Miller more so than I thought. Or maybe it's just you're relying on a lot of young defensive linemen who have improved, but they're still young defensive linemen. You're on game 18 coming up, and I think fatigue is starting to set in in terms of the effectiveness of this pass rush. No, I think, if anything, the shining moment was this defense because, to be honest, <laughs> the score is deceiving. They really gave up two touchdowns. You know, there was the one that was the strip sack fumble um, that Miami recovered from the Bills' offense, and then a couple field goals. I thought the defense played very well for the most part. I thought Tredavious White played really well, um, making some big plays. I think I think we need to talk about Kair Elam because he had by far the best game of his young career like they they had him kind of playing a little bit of safety cover especially at the end he made some really big pass deflections uh, i mean Kair Elam was playing lights out like really really good um and that is a super encouraging sign because this secondary has been super banged up this season um but he's making pass deflections uh i believe he maybe got an interception in this game I could be wrong. I don't believe so. But he, he was out there making plays left and right. Um, and that is a really good sign in terms of his development, you know, going forward. Because I know at the start of the season, he kind of lost out to Christian Benford. You know, he was kind of in flux. Um, but he stepped up in a big-time way. Um, and this game against Miami was a really encouraging sign. Because, again, he had to guard, you know, again, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. That is as tough of a test as you can get in terms of receivers in this league. And he was holding his own against them. So that is a really, really encouraging sign. Um, I will agree with you. The pass rush was, you know, it's not like they didn't get sacks. They did. Um, but it, it it should have been more, you know. Especially, again, a Skylar Thompson who, uh, uh, you know, as a rookie, he did give, you know, make turnovers and the Bills did capitalize off of them. But, um, I thought the defense held their own for the most part, given the fact that the offense was struggling for the most part, especially in the second and third quarters. Um, the defense held their own. I, I felt encouraged, especially again, you would have to say, you know, I know if Tua was playing, it would be a much different outcome, but they were still able to limit Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Um, he, they didn't allow them to, you know, take over and, when they did get the ball, they were limited. And I get, again, Skylar Thompson, if Tua or even Teddy Bridgewater was in, it'd be probably a different, you know, outcome for those guys in terms of their productivity. But listen, I, I think credit due is credit due because, you know, doesn't matter if Skylar Thompson or whoever's quarterback, you have to, you know, cover Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle and Kyer Elam and Tredavious White. I thought played really, really well. And I think those two corners are starting to find chemistry. Terdavious White, I thought this was his best game this season. And same for Kyrie Elam. I think the corners are probably the bright spot when I look at this defense in this game. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. And again, you look at Hill and Model stats, and you're definitely saying, okay, they took a, they, they didn't get too wide open, and they had some drops, right? They were bailed out a few different times. Um, I just, you know, I still worry about the secondary. I think Dean Marlowe is starting to settle into that role with Jordan Poyer, and it's not an easy role to settle in next to a guy who's used to playing with his, you know, dynamic duo of Poyer and Hyde, and then he gets used to Hamlin, and now he's got to get used to Marlowe. It's, it's different. 
um, Tredavious White is playing better and better every single game. He's looking a little bit fresher and fresher. Even when he makes mistakes, he's starting to show that recovery speed that we, we kind of know from him. Um, and, yeah, Kair Elam is getting confident, right? That Patriots game did a lot of confidence for him. He's starting to look like he's settling in. And they need all hands on deck because this is a, as good as Waddle and Hill are. There's just two of those guys, right? And there's Mike Gisecki, and, and And that's it for Miami. Cincinnati is a different animal. Cincinnati has <laughs> the animal and the Bengals dolphins. See what I did there, Jordan? All about I, the I animal see. facts over here. Yes, yes, yes. But Cincinnati is a different, a different uh, type of offense because they have more receivers. So you can't just worry about maybe the who's starting a cornerback. Is it Benford or Jackson? Is it Jackson or Elam? Oh, Elam's not playing really. Well, let's sub in Benford. Let's sub in Jackson. You need all of them right now. You're going to need all those guys on the field, all of them playing effective. Taron Johnson had a really good punch out on a pass that caused a drop in this game. He's going to need to be on his game as well. He's a very critical player in the slot. So we'll see what happens there. I think the final kind of thought to close the loop on maybe this Dolphins game, um, again, it's going to sound like we're criticizing, and it's just because as good as the plays were, the one-handed Dawson Knox catch and some of the amazing things different individuals did at various points. It was a weird game, right? The other weird part about this game, um, timeout usage by both coaching staffs were odd, and I think more odd than that was the fact that the referee crew really had a tough time relaying a timeout to actually stopping a play. So Sean McDermott was the uh, beneficiary of two of these, where he called a timeout on a critical fourth down or third down, and the Bills actually got a stop on both of those, but the plays were dead because the officials didn't stop the play in time, but they gave the Bills the timeout. So Sean McDermott looks bad when he tried to call a timeout but didn't. Um, And then Mike McDaniel also looks bad because he tried to call a timeout uh, officials didn't stop a play, and Skylar Thompson uh, got destroyed for not a sack, just a, a free QB hit, I guess, because the officials didn't stop it in time. Um, so I don't know if you come out here on Sean McDermott's time management starting to be questionable, usage of timeouts, or if you're like me and think, I think the referees just had a horrible time relaying whistles. Uh, maybe it was the crowd noise, but multiple times it felt like the whistles came in way, way, way too late and, and things happened that didn't need to happen. Yeah, and that's concerning, right? You know, those are, uh, I mean, especially that one that Sean McDermott called that timeout. I'm like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And luckily it wasn't anything that turned into something, like, absolutely game-changing. Um, but, yeah, some of McDermott's timeout call decisions were not great. And I think, like you said, to kind of put a bow on this, this felt – this was a very odd game, but if I'm going to put some sort of positive spin on it is that, you know, look at it this way, right? The Bills last year in the wild card round absolutely stomped the Patriots, right? 40 nothing, blowout, like we did not expect it, right? Absolutely could not expect that kind of beatdown, right? And we were feeling confident going into that game against the Chiefs, and rightfully so honestly. Um, And then the Chiefs game happened and what it was. Um, I think that this, if anything, is a good wake-up call for the Bills to say, like, hey, we got to survive in advance. We did what we needed to do to win. But I think this helps them kind of have a slightly bit more of an edge going into this divisional round against Cincinnati. And listen, like you said, at this point of the season, it's just survive in advance. You know, I know we're picky because I know that we can be better than this and we should have been better than this against Miami, but a win is a win is a win. A win is one step closer to a Super Bowl title at this point of the season. So if, if you have to win ugly, then win ugly. But as long as you win, you're one step closer to that Super Bowl title. And that is all that really should matter if you're a Buffalo fan at this point of the season. Just win. It is all that matters, and yes, I would love to have a relaxing game where I'm sitting there sipping my bourbon as opposed to like chugging it like it's water, and that would be great, and I think we all would love that, but this is who this team is. I mean, they're just kind of going to be Jekyll and Hyde for a while, and 
as long as they keep winning, we'll keep being happy. And, and yeah, I'd like to win more smoothly. But, hey, I just want to win. And, and I think if they ever lose the rest of the way, it'll be heart-wrenching. It doesn't matter how they lose. It doesn't matter where they lose. It doesn't matter who they lose to. Anything that's not a Super Bowl win is going to be heart-wrenching because everyone knows the potential this team has. And you can see that they can beat anybody at any single time. They can score at will. They can stop teams at will. They have all the pieces there to be a Super Bowl winner. You just got to go do it. And it, it seems yeah, easier said than done, right? But you're, you're now in a very difficult stretch here. This is where we can talk about, man, wish we would have had that one seed, right? Because you don't get to face Jacksonville, not that they're very easy, but you have to go through Cincinnati, probably plus Kansas City, then the Super I mean, rather than facing two probably – guaranteed Super Bowl caliber teams, you know, you got to go through three now. So it's going to – the road gets much harder this way through. You could have had an easier time with a third-string quarterback, but you didn't, but it's over. It's done with. Um, moving on, Jordan, and I think before we move on to Cincinnati, one news and note with the Bills, first of all, uh, DeMar Hamlin has been in the facility just about every day, according to Sean McDermott, which is really good news. We don't know yet if he's going to be at the Bills-Bengals game. I, I still believe at some point he will be there in the stadium, but it sounds like he's still on oxygen from time to time, so he's not going to the stadium for that very reason, which makes total sense, health first. Um, I battle with this one a little bit. The team is obviously going to rally behind him as best they can. I, I worry about a couple things. One, I don't know how much more emotional capacity this team has with all the things they've gone through, even starting before the season with the shooting at the top supermarket. It's been a lot, right? It's been a lot for this group to overcome. They've done it, that all the off-field things, and now this on-field thing has been challenging, but they've, they've proven they're resilient. No one's going to question this Bills team on being resilient or not, but they've, that gas meter has to be running on empty. Will DeMar Hamlin's presence at a game Will that kind of re-energize things, or will that make this a more emotional of an event? And I think the coaching staff is going to have to balance that. How is this impacting the players, and will he be there or not? I think everyone wants him there. I don't think the players will ever say they don't want him there, but I think if you're Sean McDermott and you're working on this with Brandon Bean, I think at some point, knowing that he's now daily in the facility, he's very close, right? I don't know how you want to leverage that, but that's going to be an emotional kind of acceleration or gut punch. I don't know what it is, but I am curious how the Bills play this out because DeMar Hamlin health first is a big thing, but now you're also looking at that and saying, okay, how is it going to impact the team in their, not necessarily their preparations, but on the field as well? I will say this. If DeMar Hamlin is at that game, right, and he comes out and he does the like the buffalo chant of hey let's go buffalo that place will be the loudest you will ever hear it as if you didn't need to fire up that crowd enough if he is there i mean just that would absolutely just if you didn't have a reason to play before now you do and that seeing that could amp the players up to tenfold um, so it is a bit of a catch 22, right? Cause and then there might be too jumped, too amped up on emotion. Right. And so on and so forth. But I'll tell you what, I think I'd love to see him there. The way that that crowd is going to be so loud and so rambunctious and to, ha- to hear a fever pitch that you could hear all across the country from Buffalo and Orchard Park. If Damar Hamlin's there, I mean, it just, again, this DeMar Hamlin recovery is so storybook that that happens. I mean, talk about chills, talk about emotions, talk about just absolute pandemonium. That almost feels like in itself of the Bills like winning something, just how loud it will be if DeMar Hamlin's actually at this game. And it's a good problem to have, isn't it? I mean, this is what you wanted is the best outcome is that he's able to live his normal life to some degree. He's, he's getting back on the field. He's getting to show up at games. This is a good problem, but it's still, like you said, it's an emotional piece that you have to manage. And 
And and this is the game that's very interesting, right? Because they're playing the Bengals. It's not just they're playing the Chiefs or they're playing the Patriots or the Jets. This is the Bengals. I mean, this is the team that was on the other side of the sideline during this whole incident, too. So it makes a lot of sense that maybe this is the time that he's doing all those things and that it's kind of equal weighing the emotions. But I think it's just something that I'm curious about watching and how they played out because there's no doubt in my mind, just like when you want to read the newspaper clippings on something bad, right, and everyone's doubting us, I think rallying for DeMar is something that the team can get behind and find energy when they're tired and find motivation when, when, you know, you're not really in the dog days, right, but it's a grind and you're at the tail end of it. And how do you stay ahead of everyone else in terms of motivation and energy levels? Playing for DeMar is definitely one of those things, but him at a game is going to be a piece of this puzzle that I'm interested to see how it plays out. Speaking of puzzle pieces, um, it's of note, too, Ken Dorsey, um, he's going to be interviewed by the Carolina Panthers, and he was asked about it this week. And, of course, he said the, the coach speak, right? His focus is on this game, right? He's on this team. Um, he'll cross that bridge when he gets there. So it sounds like he hasn't conducted the formal interview yet, to my knowledge, but he has been granted a request to interview the Panthers. So, Jordan, you know, we'll talk about the offseason quite a bit, but what are your thoughts on Ken Dorsey? I mean, <laughs> we just talked about he's not really a good offensive coordinator yet. Um, what about him as you know, reversing that train of Carolina Panthers up to Buffalo and now Bill's going down to Carolina? What are your thoughts on him as a candidate for head coach in Carolina? Um, wouldn't that be something, right? The Carolina's like, we take something of yours. I'm a little bit surprised that he's getting interviews right away after just one year as offensive coordinator. Um, you would think that maybe a couple years under his belt – you would maybe have those conversations, you know, like it wasn't until Brian Dable had like interviews about two years ago, again, after a couple of seasons under the helm with Josh Allen. Um, I'm a little bit surprised to be perfectly honest. Um, I don't know if, if for him, if it's in the best interest to go to Carolina because that job itself is not really a great one. And, you know, I think if Ken Dorsey is like, well, teams are interested in me, but I'm going to wait for maybe a better job opening because I don't think Carol, unless, unless he really wants to be an NFL head coach, which I get it, you know, those opportunities are uh, far and few between, but I think he may want to wait for a better opportunity to come if he's going to jump ship. I agree, but I also think, hey, interview practice, right? You know, what type of questions are they going to get? What would your staff look like? I think all that's in play. And he, and if I was Carolina, I wouldn't necessarily hire Ken Dorsey. I mean, the performance this year, he hasn't sunk the ship, right? He's kind of just keeping the ship afloat, doing its thing. Bill's offense has had its ups and downs. He's made corrections. I think he's done some good things. But he's not Brian Dable. Brian Dable is a little bit different in that you take Joe Shane from the Bills front office, you take Brian Dable from the Bills coaching staff, and you kind of put those two together and say, okay, we want to recreate what happened in Buffalo, and both of you guys are very familiar with that process, if not from the start, you know, very close to the start. But Brian Dable was also a, a more tenured offensive coordinator. Granted, he's not calling plays with the Giants. Ken Dorsey, do you want to call plays? Because if you do, maybe take some more time to uh, work through the process of an offensive coordinator before we get, add head coaching duties to that. Um, if you don't want to call plays, what's your staff look like? What's your management style? Is it psychopath? What are you wanting to do? And I think all those questions are things to be answered. But, yeah, Carolina's not a great job, but you know what, Jordan? It's rare for a great job to open up, too. So you really got to balance that out as well. All right, let's move around to the Bengals game, okay? Bills are facing the Bengals this week, obviously, in Buffalo, 3 o'clock on Sunday. Um, they are favored by five points. We'll get to the spread here in a little bit. But, Jordan, it feels like we just talked about the Bengals, right? Because we did uh, not too long ago. Um, this is a matchup that are two elite offenses. You have the five minutes of game time to break down if you really want to see how things are going. But I'll sum it up for you. Bengals scored really easily on the Bills' defense with the Tyler Boyd touchdown. Bills pretty easily moved down the field and got three. Bengals starting to move down the field again. Injury end of game. So not much to go off of on that other than the fact that I think if you're expecting an offensive shootout, um, you're in luck. There probably will be an offensive shootout. The prediction for this game is going to be 
person who wins the turnover battle wins the game. There's just so much really good offense that you can expect, so much high scoring that you can expect, so much breakdown. Any breakdown in coverage could be exploited for a big game. There's going to be some big plays. Both teams are going to give them up. The running game is going to be critical to who balances the offense out enough. Um, I trust Zach Taylor more than Ken Dorsey, obviously, probably in that regard, but I also trust Leslie Frazier more so than the Bengals defensive coordinator. So there's a lot of challenges in this game. It feels really 50-50 to me. Um, But, man, it feels like one of those last person with the ball is going to win or the first team that blinks. You know, practice Von Miller speak, don't blink. But the first team that blinks and makes a big mistake and the other team is able to actually capitalize on that mistake, I think that's going to be the difference, and that's how this game is going to come down to a winner. To me, when I look at this game, the difference for how this game is going to come down to is going to be that Bengals offensive line. Because you look at the Bengals offense, right? You've got Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, uh, Hayden Hurst, the offensive weapons are there. And then there's Joe Mixon in the backfield, right? Um, that their receivers are incredibly prolific. The secondary is going to have its challenges. And frankly, they're going to lose battles. You know, those receivers are going to make plays happen. The question to me is, do you get after Joe Burrow? Because the offense, their offensive line is incredibly injured. I think they only have one or two starters from the start of the season who are still healthy and playing. That offensive line has been a struggle point for Cincinnati. We saw it last year, right, in the playoffs, where despite the Bengals getting to the Super Bowl, that ultimately the offensive line was their downfall in terms of why they ended up losing that game. Um, And so this is where the pass rush needs to come in. This is where Gregory Rousseau, Ed Oliver... I'm talking Boogie Basham, Matt Milano, Edmonds, right? These guys have to get after that offensive line because that is the weak point of this offense for Joe Burrow and company. Um, this will be an offensive firework, but if the if you can disrupt and get after in the backfield, you have a good chance because I'm going to be honest, Right now, you're hoping maybe can Micah Hyde play? He is not playing. Sean McDermott ruled him out. Um, this is going to be incredibly tough for the secondary to try to limit and slow down. And I agree with you. I think it's going to come down to who blinks first, who makes the turnovers, who makes the mistakes, right? And if I'm looking at the Cincinnati offense, I'm like, well, their weak point is absolutely that offensive line. If you can get after it, cause pressure, that's how you can win this game. That's, to me, where it comes down to. If Joe Burrow has enough time in the pocket, it's going to be tough for Buffalo to win. But if they can get after Joe Burrow and company, the Bills stand to have a very good chance at winning this game. And not only get after him, but get after him in obvious passing down situations. If there's one stress for me watching the games, third and long is almost a guaranteed first down for teams against the Bills' defense. When it's third and long... The pass rushers should be pinning their ears back and being able to get after the quarterbacks. They just haven't been able to get home. The secondary hasn't holed up, or that they do a check down on those plays, and that someone runs around and gets you know just enough for the first down. It seems to be consistent in that. So yeah, you can get after Joe Burrow a little bit. He's gonna be a, he's gonna be more mobile than what you expect. But you, if you get a negative play on first or second down, or they have a penalty. You have got to be able to get off the field on third and long situations. This team is difficult enough as is that I would prefer not being so stressed out on third and 10 every single time that you're going to get a stop. And, and I think it's all hands on deck. Where is, you know, Kair Elam, Dane Jackson, Javis White, Taron Johnson, Christian Bedford, every single person is going to have to step up and make plays because they're running Higgins, Boy, Chase, and then that's before you get to the tight end. Hayden Hurst is having a really good season for them, and the linebackers are going to be busy working on the tight ends, but also the running backs out of the backfield. Both Nixon and Perrine can catch the ball. Um, it's not an easy matchup for the Bills' defense, but again, I'm listing guys who have all stepped up at different points during the season, who have made big plays, who have had to start in multiple games. These guys can step up. They can beat this team. It's not an insurmountable opponent. You just got to go over there and execute, and you're going to have to adjust. I'm prepared for the Bills' defense to allow a first, you know, first drive touchdown, first or second drive touchdown. 
that's just what they do this year. You know, it feels like whatever they thought the teams were going to do on the script, it's not what they do. And teams typically have success the very first possession. So I think just settle down. The crowd's going to be behind you. Hopefully the crowd is able to cause a few false starts or some additional penalties. Like you said, those, those offensive linemen being brand new in a hostile environment is going to be very different than playing at Paycor Stadium where it feels like the Bengals have played a lot of games in a row now. So if the crowd can impact this game, that helps. But when they get in those obvious passing situations, the defense has to get home. They have to be able to jam these receivers. And they cannot let these guys get catch the ball in space because all three of those guys and the running backs can really, really break tackles and get away from the first defender. So I am nervous about this game, Jordan, but the spread is five. So that being said, um, five points. Bills are favored. It's actually down from six where it started. Um, uh, what do you think with the spread and, and what – players are the key to the game um boy i'm gonna take the the Bengals with the spread because again five points it feels like this game's gonna come down to three points and a field goal um i'm going to say the bills win this game it's gonna be back and forth it's gonna come down to again final possession um for me the player the key I would say for Buffalo in this game is I'm going to, you know, everyone says Josh Allen, that's going to be the key um, or, you know, the obvious answer to me. I look at it and I say the keys, plural, are going to be Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds at that linebacking because they're going to have to play a lot of kind of, you know, cover right with um, the uh, receivers for the Bengals. I think those two players are going to be massive in terms of the outcome, right? Stopping the run, but also can they limit those the receivers? Can they slow down? Can they get after the quarterback? They're going to be doing a lot. They're going to be all over the field. So Milano and Edmonds are going to be absolutely key for Buffalo to, you know, slow down the Bengals just enough, just enough. So they will get they will get scored upon multiple times but can they do, I you know if they play well they can do just enough to give their offense an extra possession or two to ultimately make the difference and I think you're smart if you were betting to pick the Bengals I will take the Bills just because I do think it's a one score game I think it's last person with the ball and maybe the Bills just win by a touchdown right like they might have the ball last they might be up seven or six and they hold them so I'll say the Bills you know cover the spread just to be different um, but I still think it's a one-score game. I still feel like last-person ball wins is what's going to happen. But my key to the game, I agree. Josh Allen's very critical in this game. He's got to be smart with the football. He's got to get the ball out. He can't be just going deep ball and, and hoping for the best. you got to remember who's on the other side of the field. You can't give Joe Burrow a lot of extra possession. So time management is critical for Josh Allen to work through this. I like the way they were integrating James Cook in that first game before the, it stopped. Um, but I'll go different. I'll stay on defensive side of the ball, too. Let's go with just Javius White. I thought the Dolphins were targeting him a little bit more than what you'd expect for a number one corner. He's looked better and better and healthier and healthier as he's gotten more playing time this year. Um, not sure if he's going to be matched up with Jamar Chase. Not sure if he's going to be on one side of the field. But you really want to set it and forget it type in this defensive back. So, if Tredavious White can lock down whoever he's guarding play after play, that's going to really ease up the safeties to go help the rookies and help Dane Jackson with the other receivers who are going to be difficult matchups no matter what. So to me, Tredavious White needs to have a massive game, even if it doesn't show up much in the stat sheet, but it'd be a guy who can erase somebody from that Bengals offense and then make it a little more manageable for the rest of the defense, try to cover those remaining pieces. That would be the key to me. Um, all right, Jordan, let's go around this uh, AFC East and wrap up this podcast a little bit because I am nervous about this game. I don't want to talk too much about it because it terrifies me. Um, but first, let's start with the Miami Dolphins. Hey, the Bills, they are erasing all teams from the AFC East. Um, Miami is done. They have announced that oh, announced, huh? they expect Tua will be their starting quarterback next year. Is this too early for a smoke screen or do you believe it? I mean, I believe it. It it should be. I mean, the concussions are a worry. If I'm Miami, my big key this offseason is finding a really good backup quarterback. Um, because this season was evident that Tua going down just 
sinks them. So they need to invest and find a really good backup quarterback uh, this offseason so they don't, you know, completely fall off the rails if and when Tua gets injured again because he's he's fragile now at this point. So you need a backup quarterback who is capable if and when Tua goes down again. So I think that's going to be have to be a huge priority for Miami this offseason. I definitely agree. Veteran backup, you thought Teddy Bridgewater might be it, but he can't stay healthy himself. Skylar Thompson, you know, maybe he develops into that backup because he had some moments, but not very great. But, yeah, you can't take the ball away from Tua. You want to see his health, where he's at. If concussions become a concern, then that's a concern for that long-term contract. But for now, I agree. I think Tua took a step in the right direction with Mike McDaniel. I don't think Mike McDaniel is going anywhere. So you're going to expect him to continue to progress. Health first for Tua, secondarily. He clearly has you know, some sort of chemistry with Mike McDaniel. You want to keep that going. He's definitely the starter next year. You're not going to bring in Rodgers or Brady or, or someone like that. He's going to sit him unless his health is a serious concern and he really needs to sit for a long period of time, in which case there's longer issues and more important issues than who's starting at, at the Miami Dolphins quarterback position. Next up are the uh, New England Patriots. Speaking of Brady, he gone. He got eliminated from Monday Night Football and, and looked really like a 45-year-old at times um, in that game. However, let's start up the rumor mill. Um, he had his final press conference after the game. Kind of sounded like he was saying goodbye, but we don't know. Um, but there's been rumors. It's time to talk rumors for the offseason with the Patriots. We think they're going in a different offensive coordinator direction, but we also know, hey, is Mac Jones the guy? Or maybe is this a place where Tom Brady starts a reunion? Jordan? Smokescreen or not, the rumors that maybe there's a potential reunion for Brady and Belichick. Nope. Abs- nope. Just nope. Nope. No. Uh, I, who the hell knows with Tom Brady, but I know one thing. New England and him, yeah, that's a closed book. It ain't reopening. So uh, sorry about it. Not happening. I don't think. Bill Belichick should want a 46-year-old Tom Brady at this point because it didn't look great that season. So, uh, no, I am shutting this down vehemently. Bill Belichick definitely does not want a 46-year-old Tom Brady. He tried to get rid of him for Jimmy Garoppolo. So there's there's plenty of uh, reason not to, and you have to move on at some point, right? I mean, he's not your future. Mac Jones, I don't think he is either, but, hey, if they still want to give him another look, go for it. Um there's other options to pursue than a 46-year-old, and the only way this happens is Robert Kraft kind of steps in and goes crazy owner, which we've seen owners do. But other than Robert Kraft's soft spot, I don't see this as a, a place where Tom Brady lands. Finally, Jordan, the New York Jets, they are on an uh, offensive coordinator search, their version of LeFleur. He is no longer there. They mutually parted ways, but let's be real. He was probably fired. Um, so he is out the door. Um, definitely didn't help Zach Wilson's career, maybe help Mike White. It's a weird situation there. But regardless, they're interviewing offensive coordinators. Former Colts offensive coordinator Marcus Brady has been interviewed. Um, we have a Cliff Kingsbury interview request, but he's, a, he's got a one-way ticket to Thailand. He, he ain't there. And my favorite one, please, oh, Lord, let this happen. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, former Aww. Broncos head coach, and Packers, Bills, Jaguars offensive coordinator, has interviewed with the Jets. Jordan, do any of those names uh, sound appealing to you, or um, who do you hope that they select? Because I'll tell you now, spoiler, I really want them to pick the Hackett. If they pick Hackett, it would be hilarious, but uh, I none of those names are at all appealing. Those are all very sad options that the Jets are interviewing. Um Nathaniel Hackett would be funny. I'm going to tell you what. I, you know, especially given that their quarterback uh, situation is very much up in the air. But uh, please hire Nathaniel Hackett. I, it it just, the jet, it's just so Jets. It just feels so Jets. It just feels so New York Jets for them to do that. Not only that, but you know they're hiring Nathaniel Hackett hoping that Aaron Rodgers becomes available. That's the only reason they would hire him. They're not looking at me like, man, you really developed uh, that one person, Blake Bortles. Um, you really did a great job in Buffalo with EJ Manuel. Oh, you coach Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. You coach Aaron Rodgers. Okay. 
let's maybe trade with the Packers for Rodgers. I mean, their only reason you bring Hackett in is because you think that gives you a better shot at Rodgers. That's really it, um, because I don't think he's appealing to many other free agent quarterbacks who could be out there. All righty, Jordan, let's finish with a round the NFL, and we'll have a little playoff edition here. Giants, they beat the Vikings. Uh, the Vikings' streak of uh, coming back and winning games finally, finally came to an end. Um, you knew it would eventually. Um, they were playing with fire all year. They got 12 wins. Good for them, but they weren't able to come back against the Brian Dable-led Giants. So Brian Dable, Isaiah Hodgins, Matt Breda, they are rocking. Are they officially your favorite NFC team remaining? I mean, in terms of rooting for, sure. Um, I mean, talk about Isaiah Hodgins, though. Like, he has been thriving with the Giants. And, you know, it's a little sad to see only because you're like, oh, he was on this team, but he was never going to see the field. Um, I'm really glad that he is thriving um, with a different team and with the Giants because he is playing really well, and he's playing himself to get himself a nice, secured contract. So I'm just happy for Isaiah Hodgins that he is playing that well and just thinking – Wow, the depth that the Bills wide receivers had was truly as deep as one would think. Yeah, and, and the, the Isaiah Hodgins narrative is always interesting to me because who you're not playing? Like who? He was here for a couple of years, and yeah, he was injured his rookie year. He worked his way back. Clearly, Dayball liked him in practice. Clearly, the Bills liked him too. He was always on the practice squad. He was never not, you know, he's never officially cut, 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 you know, never seen again. The Giants grabbed him off the Bills practice squad. I mean, that's where Joe Shane knows the players, and Brian Dable knows that he can come in and know the offense. Um, he's not the only Bills receiver they've grabbed off the practice squad at different times. I believe, what, David Sills is out there, too, wandering around from time to time. Uh, one of our favorites from the draft way back in the day. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad he's doing well. He's getting an opportunity is the big thing. In Buffalo, he just wasn't going to get an opportunity. You're not benching Gabe Davis to put Isaiah Hodgins in. Um, and the Bills are trying to win the Super Bowl, and it's tough to develop wide receivers other than guys like Khalil Shakir who have to step in for a Jameson Crowder who's injured. Um, and even Gabe Davis, he stepped in for an injured John Brown and kind of took the reins with that one. Hodges just didn't have that sort of luck, and there's even more depth when he was in Buffalo. But I'm just rooting for Dayball. I don't know if I'm rooting for the Giants as much as I am, like Buffalo Bills Jr. kind of over there with Shane and Dayball. Davis Webb is running around out there. Matt Breida's out there. I mean, it's a nice little collection of ex-Bills players that are like, eh, I like you guys. You guys weren't so shabby when you were in Buffalo. Good for you. Um, but they have a tougher opponent with the Eagles this week, so we'll see how they do. Next up, the Chargers had a massive, and I mean massive, collapse against the Jaguars. Ooh. It wasn't the biggest comeback in NFL history, but, man, when you get four interceptions in the first half and you jump up, what, 27 nothing, you should win the game, especially when you have Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler. But, most notably, when they were up 27 points, they only ran the ball two more times the rest of the game. Um, that clock management and issues uh, caused Joe Lombardi to be fired as well as the quarterback's coach. But now, Jordan, a bigger question. We know the Vikings are kind of jinxed, right? When it comes to the playoffs, they always come up short. They find ways to lose. Um, the Chargers, though, were right there with them, in my mind. Really, really good teams enter the playoffs, and they find ways to lose every single time. Jordan, are the Chargers jinxed? And do you like the fact they're sticking with the head coach and getting rid of the offensive coordinator? I don't think that's the right route. I don't like that their head coach is still around. Uh, Brandon Staley, I think, needs to go. The execution has been god-awful. Um, yeah, that was about as bad of a choke job as you can for the Chargers. I blame someone in San Diego putting a curse on them because that's the only explanation as to how bad you blow that lead and it is atrocious, especially when you get four interceptions in like the first quarter and you can't seal a deal. Yeah. Sorry. You gotta go. That's your time. Goodbye. Vamos. I don't know if I'm down with firing. Cause I like continuity. You know, I'm just a big continuity fan, but you know, I don't think you should fire an offensive corner for one game's result. Yeah. He should have ran the ball more, but you'd think the head coach would, you know, direct that too. Like you have to run the ball. We're we're trying to we're treading water over here. But Brandon Sears is also a defensive coach, right? So how'd your defense give up all those points on the flip end of that? So it works both ways. I think it's complimentary, but yeah, I think someone just got blamed is what ended up happening. But 
Um, yeah, I don't know if it's the right person, but I don't know if I would blow the whole thing up because you blew one game in the playoffs. Just had me at the wrong time. But the Chargers, they find ways to do this, and that's what's unfortunate. Next up, Brett, a.k.a. Money Mayor, um, missed five straight point afters, four of which were on Monday Night Football. He did connect on one at the end. Um, the Cowboys are sticking with him. They did sign a kicker to their practice squad. Jordan, right call, wrong call. And did you find it as hilarious as I did? Because I found it real hilarious. It was kind of funny after a while. I mean, listen, I think that it's going to be fine. Um, like, I think it was just a fluke, if anything. Um, you know, it just happens. Like, it was, they were in serious danger. I think Brad Maher is just having a fluke of a game. Um, I think he'll be fine. He's he's a really good kicker. I think he just had just, you know, one of those days. I agree. And I think he, I want to say one of those games, cause he, but I think once it, it snowballed, right? Once one bad kick happened, then another, then another. It just keeps going and going. And, and this is a great reason to watch the Manning cast, just FYI. Um, Peyton Manning, not a fan of kickers. And finally, Jordan, let's end on this note because it is Bengals and Ravens related, but the Bengals beat the Ravens and they beat Tyler Holland. They didn't look very good doing it, much like the Bills, but they didn't look very good beating a backup. However, the news of it was probably that Lamar Jackson wasn't at the game, and then afterwards he had a weird kind of tweet, post, whatever you want to call it, where he essentially said – uh, you should, shouldn't take for granted what you have, and you should cherish it. Um, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it doesn't look good for negotiations moving forward. Um, Jordan, there's also rumors that Lamar, maybe if the contract was worked out, he would have played. RG3 says he made the right move. There's a lot of layers to this, but the question here, where does Lamar Jackson play quarterback most likely plays? And maybe not as likely, but hilarious place if it happens in your mind. Um, I'm well. I think he's gone, and I think the place that I keep going back to is the Jets. I think that's just it makes a lot of sense. They'll throw a lot of money. They they feel like this our time is now. We need a quarterback. I keep saying the Jets because it makes the most sense. But I think if anything, this just signals to me that he is not coming back to he's not coming back to Baltimore. And not at all. And that is, you know, panic time if you're a Ravens fan, if for sure. I agree. I I don't know what's going on there. He's his own agent, and so that's always a problem, too. That's, that's probably not the smart way to do things. And you take it personal because I think teams, it is a business. You have to negotiate, and there's different things going on. So it, it makes sense that he takes some of the negotiations personal, even if it's not meant to be. It's just normal business. Um, but I'll tell you where I think – I think he ends up in Baltimore. When it's all said and done, they both are a really good match for each other. He knows he's going to have a really good kind of offense that's catered to him. They've set the team up to fit his skill set. John Harbaugh knows how to use him. I feel like he's going to end up in Baltimore when all said and done, cooler heads will prevail. It'll be a massive contract. But the hilarious places for me for him to go to, I don't think the Jets are hilarious. There's nothing fun about that. That's just like, okay, you're just going to be another expensive quarterback that's going to willow away in New York City. But, Jordan, how about this? I think the Colts would be hilarious if he ended up there, kind of like the Baltimore Colts moving to Indianapolis. Here comes Lamar Jackson leaving Baltimore on the Mayflower moving vans back to Indy. Um, that would be funny. They also have a lot of cap space and. I mean, maybe the, I guess they have Matt Ryan, so you know, maybe not. Um, the other place that I think would be funny-ish, but also intriguing to me, I don't think they have the cap space to do it. But the Las Vegas Raiders also feel very interesting to me because they're going to move on from Derek Carr. They have Devontae Adams there. They have Josh Jacobs and Josh McDaniel. Um, it seems like an interesting fit, but again depending on how they get out of that Derek Carr contract, I don't think they have the money because that's where it comes down to with Lamar Jackson is very few teams have the money to actually sign him to the deal that he probably wants and deserves. Who knows? I mean, listen, Lamar's sweepstakes is going to be a very highly contested uh, watch towards the, you know, this off season, but I'm convinced he is not coming back to Baltimore. He is good as gone from Maryland. 
Yeah, it remains to be seen. But, Jordan, that is all I have for you this week. I am trying to do my best to practice breathing exercises. I'm going to do some yoga on Sunday. I'm going to practice some meditation on Saturday. Um, this Bills team, I, they can win it. They should win it. But I know no matter what, they're going to make it somewhat stressful for me and every Bills fan along the way. Well, that will do it for another episode of Two Bills in a Pod. Thank you so much for listening. We're on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio at Two Bills in a Pod. And make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Two Bills in a Pod, especially on Twitter for playoff GIF reactions. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at GreatbeardHan. Me, Jordan, at Osmey44. We'll talk to you next week and get ready for the playoffs. Go Bills. See ya. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.